This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, supporting journalistic excellence in the digital age. Learn more about Knight Foundation at kf.org. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On April 4th, the Washington Post brought together journalists, advocates, and digital innovators to examine the state of local news and efforts to revitalize and protect it. Congressional leaders on both sides of the aisle are joining forces to protect local news as the digital space becomes increasingly dominated by social media platforms. News deserts are cropping up all over the country as traditional publications continue to suffer the collapse of the print business model and the takeover of digital advertising by social media giants. In this segment, Facebook executive and Corn Group will discuss how the company's recent investment in local news initiatives is meant to help remedy this issue. Um, good morning. I'm Sarah Ellison. I'm a media reporter for The Washington Post, um, and I'm delighted to introduce my guest, Anne Kornblut. She is the director of new initiatives on the news partnerships team at Facebook. She's also a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who spent nearly two decades in the news business, including at The Washington Post, um, before joining Facebook. So we're sort of happy to bring her back home a little bit. Um, she is now leading a new initiative at the company aimed at granting $300 million over the next three years to news programs and content, and some of that's going towards local news. First, I just have to ask you um, about the previous panel. I wanted to get your response to um, Congressman Cicilline's notion of allow allowing a kind of antitrust loophole um, to get to, to allow news publishers to band together. Thank you. Well, first, I want to say thank you. I know I'm here as the Facebook person, but I really um, I feel still like a Washington Post person. Mm -hmm. So thanks for letting me come back. Um, um, yeah, it was really interesting to hear them, both of them, talk about their um, their idea. I hadn't heard them do it live for such an extended period of time before. Um, you know, I think we, the most important thing to know is that we share their goal, which is to have a viable news ecosystem where publishers, big ones, small ones, local, can survive um, and not be beholden to traffic from a particular platform or another. Um, I know, and we're in touch with their offices. Um, I know our team has some concerns about the specifics of this approach. And my understanding, although I'm not a lawyer, is that it has to do with what it would, what it has historically done for consumers when um, this kind of regulation has been approached. But, but in any case, I'll tell you about what we are focused on. Um, our focus, and my personal focus as someone who cares deeply about news, is on helping publishers figure out a business model for the future and for ones that need to make certain transformations, trying to figure out how to help them do that, um, because we want them to be viable. And we're doing this, we're, I know we're gonna talk about this, but we're doing it in a number of ways that are both on the platform and off the platform, because I think we wanna get to a place where they're able to survive, where they're able to have the kind of business model that's gonna work, and for many, that's gonna be subscriptions. We heard Audrey talking about that in the beginning. I know for the post, that is, has worked really well. That's where we want to get to is a place that is really forward-looking and can be sustained for the long term. 
Well, so let's talk about that. I mean, that's sort of what you're here to, to tell us. What, what is Facebook's approach to solving local news? Look, I, I mean, and I will say, I, for me, the Washington Post is local news because I grew up here and I was the, I read it and remember what it felt like to have local news when our high school, its academic team would be mentioned. That feeling of local news is so important. And it's important to me <clears throat> personally. I started at the New York Daily News, the Boston Globe. So I have a lot of local news I care about. Um, it is important to Facebook. I'm, you know, it's not just a little team that cares about news. Um, Facebook's core mission is community and building community. And local news is one of the most important ways you can actually build community. Um, we've seen people come together around local news in a way that I think it would be devastating if it were somehow lost. And the whole reason we're here is we know what peril it's in. Um, it's also important for democracy. And as we've heard from the last panel, you know, we have a responsibility and we've increasingly worked on our investments in helping um, build a stronger democracy. But the, real, the last reason is it's an unmet need. And so like, we just know we can be helpful. I can talk about some of the specifics of what we're doing, if, if that would be helpful. Well, one of the things that I've noticed is that you aren't giving directly to publishers. You're yeah, not handing money that's to right. publishers. There's sort of a buffer layer. Um, why, why is that an unnecessary layer, or why are you doing it that way? So, I mean, look, publishers of all kinds, including the Washington Post, can get subscribers on Facebook themselves. So that's part of what we do on the platform. And when they get subscribers on Facebook, they can keep 100% of the revenue. That's not the case for other, you know, some other um, players in the industry, but we do it that way. Off the platform, um, we are making investments in places like Knight. Sue Preston was here earlier. Um, sorry, Jen, Jen Preston was talking earlier about that. Um, and the Pulitzer Center. The reason we're making an investment like the $5 million we gave to the Pulitzer Center that they are then giving to um, local news organizations to do investigative work and other kinds of stories um, is because they're the ones who are best positioned to decide who is going to do. These are nonprofits that are dedicating their lives to understanding the local news ecosystem. Who is going to, who needs it? Who's going to do the work? Because ultimately this is about getting the stories done right. I also don't think that it would be good for anybody if Facebook were giving direct money out to publishers. I think publishers would probably be concerned they'd be accused of not writing fair stories. And we know that we're a fair target for people to write about, too. So we want to make sure that they can not do that. Feel but, but I would encourage everyone, the Pulitzer Center, if you go look at their website, some of the reporting they've already done this year is incredible. They mm -hmm. helped sponsor a series in St. Louis and in Kentucky around police asset seizure. So when they take drug money, what do they do with it? Well, it turns out they're funding their own police department and in some cases buying sports cars. OK, that's incredible local reporting. And I think, you know, the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting, it was Pulitzer's idea to give them the money. I had no idea what work they were doing, but we're starting to see some of that work. And when we do, that's, um, that's really what it's all about. Um, I want to talk a little bit about news deserts. We have a map that Facebook oh. created yeah. um, that shows news deserts discovered as you rolled out your initiatives. Mm -hmm. So it's there in here. Yeah. Um, so it, it, if you want to see the green spaces indicate robust news presence and the white ones where there is little to none. Um, there, when I talk to some of the publishers who are working with Facebook and others who are not the small ones, they, they say this is like the arsonist coming to put, out, to put out the fire because Facebook and other 
platforms helped create that news desert. What do you, look, what do you say to that? And also, what what are you doing about these news deserts? Look, I I understand that question. I mean, I was in a local newsroom when the economics started to change. I was at the Boston Globe, and I've lived through. I mean, I've, I've only been at Facebook four years. I was I've lived through a lot of that, although not always at a at a local. But I mean, Facebook understands that, and I think because we can't go backwards, the goal is to try to go forwards as we think about what we can do now with the economics of it. Um, and so again, that's why I think our subscription tool is really important for, it's a subscription tool within Instant Articles that lets publishers get subscribers. We've also been working um, on membership approaches. I know that um, you've had some people here earlier today talking about membership. Everyone's familiar with the NPR model of getting members. It turns out it's really viable for some very small um, and not so small local publishers too, because they find that they have this connection with their audience, the way Audrey was saying with the San Francisco Chronicle, and people want to give. Mm -hmm. And so how do we help um, them understand what to do to get that better? Right. Um, and look, I mean, look, that's, I'm not saying that that's, you know, there's a silver bullet or you just do memberships and everything is going to work out great. Not at all. But there are some small changes, and I can talk to you about what's working if you want, but there are some small changes that we've, in working with our publishers who are part of what we call our accelerator program, they come together um, for a three to six month period where we bring them together with a coach and they get to do some training around a business challenge. The last one we did was around memberships. Mm -hmm. And so we helped some very interesting and small publishers learn how to do memberships better and see real improvements. Um, I talked to one of your partners in that and they said they doubled their um, oh. subscription or their membership retention or acquisition in 12 weeks. Who so was I mean, there's Which definitely- um, That's great, member. I love Sorry. that. Well, no, but there's- <laughs> So there's that's some, working. There's that's one, working I mean, you know, it. they mentioned the Cleveland Plain Dealer earlier and right. um, so devastating, the layoffs. But, you know, we also worked in our membership accelerator with the Richland Source, which is a digital, that's publication. What it was oh, it them? Yeah. Okay, so they're Sorry. now on track to triple their membership over um, the course of 2019, their membership revenue. And you know why? Because they learned how to ask people for money more than once. Mm -hmm. They were worried about being rude, like we all would, and saying, you know, sending too many emails. But no, the first one, nobody answers their, you know, reads the first email. So they work, they tested sending multiple emails, and it turned out that they could, that's how they can start to grow their membership. Tiny change big impact and it was all because they came together. They learned it from other publishers and we were able to just pay for their travel and hire a coach and help facilitate that. Um, I wanna to talk to you about trust. Um, yeah. When I talk to publishers, they say they can't trust Facebook because there are these examples of, you know, in 2015, one of the most high profile examples of this was there was a big pivot to video and Mark Zuckerberg came out and said that the news feed was going to be um, primarily video, and you had contracts with publishers to create video content. I remember creating Facebook Live videos that were of dubious production and news value, I'm sure. Um, and but, but, but newsrooms poured tons of resources into that, and yeah. then Facebook decided to back away from that, and it was devastating. So when I talk to some of these local publishers, they say, what is Facebook's commitment, will you still be here for local news next year, and how can we trust you? I completely understand. It's a totally fair question, and I think 
I have such compassion for the news organizations. You know, again, I was in a newsroom for a while. I understand the ups and downs that, that this relationship has been through. Um, I think what I'm seeing us do differently, I hope, is to just have a more candid relationship with publishers and to, frankly, be more um, realistic about the expectations that we all set when we have a conversation about what's going to happen and just do a better job of setting expectations. Um, you know, so that would mean for something like on the video side, you would say, oh, it's halfway through the year this isn't working or we're, we're finding the traffic. I mean, how, would you, how do you do that actually? We're saying, you know, instead of having a conversation that's all about referral traffic, which, you know, Audrey mentioned that continues to go up and down um, and probably will because the algorithm's not gonna stay static, um, having a conversation about like your core business challenge. We can talk about referral traffic, but are you trying to build a subscription base? Mm -hmm. Are you trying to get to know, excuse me, are you trying to get to know your audience better? Right. Let's solve that so that you don't actually need Facebook as much. I think what we don't want is for organizations to be wholly dependent on Facebook or any platform. We want them to be sustainable. So having, doing a better job of having that conversation. One thing I will say is we have um, and you talk to some of them, we've worked really hard on the relationship with local publishers, and I think that the trust there is good and can continue to grow. Um, but look, they're gonna be skeptics, and to the skeptics I would say, um, I hope we prove you wrong. I mean, one of the things about, just going back to news deserts, um, you guys came out with, a, with an announcement to say that your product or your efforts in local news weren't working because there wasn't enough content to use in your actual feed. So, I mean, is it partly that Facebook can't operate without this sort of content? Because there so, are people who say, I mean, Audrey did say, um, she was the editor-in-chief, she is the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, she said that Facebook's interest in local news feels disingenuous um, and cited that Facebook referrals dropped 80% last year. Right. So let me unpack that just a, just a little. I, the Today In product, it's really if you are in your Today news Today In feed, was an effort to like... The Today In is, a, is the product that um, was the genesis of the map you saw. It's a module that may show up in your newsfeed that would say, today in Bethesda, which is actually the one I first signed up for because I wanted to see what it was like back here. And um, it will show you the weather and it'll show you some, it'll pull in algorithmically some of the local news from there. In the course of doing that research, um, we had tons of local news content, but we did then discover where there is none. So we actually, it's been very successful. It turns out people, as we are discussing today, people love local news. Um, what, but, but in the course of doing it, we found all this data and our product team um, that built it, this wonderful woman, Anthea Watson-Strong said, why am I sitting on all this data? This isn't fair. Like we need to share it with academics. And so that's, we had to work out all the privacy considerations and we shared it. Um, but no, I think it's a misconception. It's been reported a little not quite right that we didn't have enough content. There is a lot of content. I think our goal is to figure out how that can be even continue to be even more beneficial to publishers. Um, I want to ask you, so Facebook doesn't pay publishers for news, but you pay for music and entertainment. Um, Mark Zuckerberg just said in an interview earlier this week that he's considered considering paying publishers for their work and creating a sort of news tab, a walled off area for news. How close is that to becoming a reality? Is that in the works or is it? 
Well, he just, so thank you. Yeah, he just, he just mentioned it over the weekend. I think we're all really excited about the prospect of being able to do it. It's going to require testing and building and all the things. Um, you know, I think on the, um, I mean, the reason for it is right now, if you want news in newsfeed, you have to wait for it. It shows up maybe because your friends and family recommend it, or maybe you follow a publisher's page. I mean, mine is all see first. I see first the Washington Post. But if you don't do that, you would have to wait until Newsfeed gives it to you. The idea of a news tab would be you can go and look for news and be exposed to more news. Um, and and the thing, I mean, look to date, our hope has been that we aren't making payments so that publishers become dependent on the payments, that publishers should be able to, again, monetize directly and have a direct relationship with their audiences rather than it coming through Facebook so they can know them through instant articles. I think as we move into a news surface, what we're going to explore is how do we do that even more? How do we make sure that publishers are getting the money they need to do this great work? Um, so the the FBI and the SEC are investigating Facebook along with a dozen states. The FTC was also investigating and is now negotiating a multi-billion dollar fine with Facebook, um, not to mention ongoing investigations in Europe and other parts of the world. Most of that was prompted by Cambridge Analytica. Um, and, and that's, you know, there have been a lot of PR issues with Facebook recently. Um, and, you know, just yesterday, millions of Facebook users' information was, was, was found to be exposed on a cloud computing server. Um, so Facebook sort of has a something of an image problem. Do you feel that that has led inside to a siege mentality? And I'm thinking of things like the um, headlines we saw earlier this year about efforts to investigate whether George Soros had a financial incentive for attacking Facebook. And that really kind of blew up. Can you just respond to that? There's so much in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, I think to your question of whether there's a siege mentality, you know, there, it may be surprising. There isn't. And I think there, there are so many people at Facebook who went to the company. You know, we're, like Audrey said, we're in San Francisco. We're in this Bay Area. There's a lot of idealistic people who went there because they wanted to help connect the world. I went there to learn a lot about the news industry, but also because my whole life has been dedicated to helping people get the news and information they want and need. There are so many things that we should have done differently in recent years and that I know we're working hard to fix. And I mean, it's not to downplay the mistakes of the last few years and things we could have changed, but, um, but I, the people I work with anyway are so committed to doing it and to trying to get it right. And honestly, being able to hear the feedback from the publishers and members of Congress as hard as it is sometimes is key to that. I'm, we're almost done. Um, we're out of time, but I want to just ask one thing. The, the, the 2016 election was, was a real moment of reckoning for Facebook. When you look to 2020, for and for a lot of people, um, but when you look to 2020, what's the thing that you're doing that's different to not repeat the same mistakes? Oh, gosh, so many things. And actually, you saw that in 2018, the midterms were not a story on Facebook because we had already taken so many steps 
to try to work much harder on misinformation, which is a whole other 45 minutes we could do up here, um, to make sure that we're removing fake accounts. We take down a million of them a day, which is a lot of where the, the promise, the, sorry, the most damaging stuff comes from. Um, we've got a whole, whole teams that work on civic um, engagement and integrity that are gearing up for that. We've hired 30,000 people around content. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot that's going on. That said, I think we all know that like crime, the bad actors are always changing their ways. And so I think we're, we're having to stay vigilant and try to think around the corner. I hope we can do it right. We'll have to have you back to discuss all you of those bet. efforts. I would love to. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for your attention. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.